Well, my name is Andrew, and I'm glad that you could be here this morning. I'm glad I get to be here. Uh, I've gone ocean fishing a good amount of times in my life, but two particular times fishing in the ocean stand out to me. The first one is where my family and I rented a charter boat, and we went out. And so this charter boat captain, he was having a hard time finding fish uh, kind of closer to where we started. And so he took us seven miles out into the ocean, which driving your car seven miles doesn't seem far. Seven miles in the ocean is really far away, and the waves are not calm there. And so while we were out in the ocean, I realized two things. All of my family gets seasick except for me, and there's a lot of fish. And so while I was fishing, my brother, my mom, and my dad were puking over the side of the boat over and over and over again, or just laying on the deck. And that sounds horrible, except for me it was good because the puke was actually bringing the fish up. And so, I don't know what to tell you, at the end of the day, there were 50 fish in the cooler on the boat, and it was the best day of fishing I've ever had. Very memorable, not great for them, right? Another day of ocean fishing that, that comes to my mind, though, is when I fished in North Carolina. Now, I have some ocean fishing gear, and I did a lot of research to try to figure out how I can catch this fish called the drum fish, or maybe it's called the red drum. And so I did lots of research beforehand, went to the bait and tackle shop. I got everything I needed. I went to the beach the first day. I was casting. I'm like, I got to do it right in the ED. I got this, right? So I keep casting, nothing. Second day, go to a different beach. Maybe it was the beach. Couldn't be me. I go to the beach, cast out, nothing. Third day, go to a different beach. My father-in-law comes with me. He doesn't like fishing to begin with. The wind starts blowing. Our lines get tangled. We get angry at each other, at the wind, at the fish, whatever. So fourth day, I finally said, you know what? I'm going to go right behind the house, right into the ocean. And I was fishing, 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 and I caught something. And it wasn't a drum fish. It was a shark. And the shark was like this big, okay? It was this big. And you might think, man, it is cool to catch a shark. No, it's not, okay? Because I got a picture with the shark, and then I'm like, what do I do with this now? I don't know. I'm not sticking my hand in the, in the shark to get the hook out, so I cut the line. And I think I, like, pushed the shark back in because I'm nervous about sharks. And so the whole rest of the time of fishing, my wife is like, Andrew, be careful of the shark. It's going to bite your feet. And I'm like, I'm fine. No, I'm not fine. It's going to bite my feet. So I stopped fishing. So what, were the, what was the difference between those two times of fishing? Not just that I caught more fish one and not the other, but the first one, I had a guide, and the second one, I was the guide. And you can kind of see how that turned out. And in life, there's lots of times where we think, I don't need a guide, but you come to a hard place or something's going on in your life, and you realize that's exactly what you need is a guide in your life. And David, who was the king of the Israelites, he knew that he needed a guide. And he wrote uh, a psalm, which are songs. And the one we're going to talk about this morning is probably the greatest, most memorable, most known psalm out of all the 150 of them. Like if there was a top 100 billboard charts for psalms, this would be number one, and it's Psalm 23. Now, if you grew up in church, or maybe you didn't grow up in church, you've heard this. You've heard this at a funeral. Someone's quoted part of it in a movie. Maybe you've heard it in a song. But Psalm 23 is one of the most famous psalms. Now, David, he wrote this, and when he did, he, he kind of painted a picture of himself as a sheep needing a shepherd. Now, sheep, they're basically 
useless on their own. Okay, not to be too harsh, but they can't feed themselves. They don't know where to go for water. They need 24-hour care. And so they can't go anywhere without the shepherd or else they'll die. And so David is saying, I'm like this sheep. And he shows that, that not only does the shepherd lead the sheep into a good life, but David is going to say, because God is my shepherd, he leads me into the greatest life. And so here's what we want to learn this morning. That the good shepherd guides us into the good life. That the good shepherd guides us into the good life. I want us to see how, how David defines what the good life is in this psalm, because it might be different than what we think the good life is. But here's a quick warning. That if God isn't your shepherd, then all the benefits that we're going to talk about, and all the characteristics that we go along with here in this next couple minutes that we talk, don't apply to you or won't apply to you. So I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God, uh, whether you're saying, yep, I'm all in, or I'm not sure, or there's no chance. I don't want you to tune out. I actually want you to tune in more, because I want you to see what Scripture says the good life is really all about. And for those of us who are following Jesus, I want us to be able to embrace all that God brings into our life and how he does that. And so before we read Psalm 23, I want us to pray together. Father, thanks that you give us examples uh, like David who, who don't always get it right. But God, you show us the times, some of the times when they do get it right and when they do see you rightly. And so I pray as we read about David's experience with you and how he sees you, that it would shape the way that we think about you, God, in our head. And it would shape the way we feel about you in our hearts, and it would change what we do with our hands as we follow after you. So God, be with us this morning. Help us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So if David's going to say what the good life is like with God as his shepherd, then, then we need to see what's the good life filled with. So I'm going to go to my first point. Point number one, the good life is really filled with God's provision. Psalm 23, 1 through 3, this is from the NIV, so it might not be how you memorized it, but you can follow along on the screen. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. David is talking about God as his shepherd. Uh, God's the leader of his life is what he's saying. Before we look at any more of this psalm, though, I want you to think about why David wrote this or when David wrote this. So we don't know exactly why or when he did. Some people think that he wrote it when he was a young shepherd boy out in the field. Uh, other people think he wrote it kind of at the end of his life. He's kind of looking back and seeing all of this. But Many scholars think that David was writing this psalm in a time where there was a civil war in his country. So there's a civil war in his country because one of his sons named Absalom said, you know what, I don't like who's, who you're going to make king after me, so I want to be the king. So Absalom kind of comes in, kind of kicks David out, brings all these people to bring a coup, and kicks David out. Now David's out on the run, kind of in the wilderness. And many scholars think that David is probably writing this psalm during this happening. And I only say it's significant because of the next few words that we read after David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. While I was preparing, I kept asking myself, is this true? 
do I lack nothing? Because all of us have wants, all of us have things that we, we would say, yeah, I lack this, I would love if God gave me this. And when David talks about lacking nothing, I think God's saying, or David's saying, I don't lack for any of my needs. That God has given him everything that he needs. And David's been along, alive long enough, he's been around the block enough times to know that if he doesn't have something right now, that God is going to provide it for him. So he's saying, I lack nothing. Not that I have everything at this second, but I'm not going to lack it because I believe God is going to provide it. If you look at it from the perspective of a sheep, we already said sheep can't survive on their own. right? If they're going on the right path, they go off. If there's food there, they, even though there's food there, they tend to kind of wander away. 206 times in Scripture, sheep are mentioned. Do you know what it never says about sheep? They're smart. right? They're cunning. They're useful on their own. Never. And that's how David's seeing himself. He's saying, listen, I can't go anywhere without the shepherd. I need him. So it says he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. Kind of just saying, God provides everything I need. And then he says, he restores my soul. This is a picture of a shepherd or of a sheep going off a little bit and the shepherd kind of bringing them back and bringing them back. And maybe there's some of us in here who have walked away from God or maybe we felt like we haven't been as close to God. And, and renewing the soul is really restoring you back, restoring you back to the shepherd. So God not only provides all you need, but when you're far away, he's chasing after you and bringing you back to himself. See, God's not just like, oh, I guess that sheep's gone. I'll get a new one. Nope, he loves you and cares for you. So what happens if we see ourselves as David did, as a sheep, and we really believe that God does fill our life with provision? Well, I think it changes our mindset. There's two different mindsets that you can have. You can have a scarcity mindset, or you can have an abundance mindset. A scarcity mindset says this, there's only a certain amount of time and money and influence in the world, and so I need to do my best to get that. Like, no one's going to do it for me, so I have to do it. And so you start taking it in, and, and you don't give away things. You don't give away money. You don't give away time. You don't give away your influence. You don't kind of push other people up because you're saying, I need all of that. I'm the only one who's looking out for me. But when you believe that God fills your life with provision, what happens? You have an abundance mindset that you start thinking about how you could use your stuff to bless other people because you know you're not just looking out for you. God's looking out for you and he's providing. And so you become a person who's generous with your money. You become a person who's generous with your time and your energy and you, you actually go out of your way to serve other people. And you go out of your way to help lift other people up. Let me tell you, every person who's poured into your life who's been a mentor to you or helped you out along the way, do you know what? They had an abundance mindset. Right? Maybe they didn't have the abundance mindset from God, but they had an abundance mindset where they said, I have enough. I'm being provided for and I can give out. See, when you're a follower of Jesus, whether you really do have enough, enough time or enough money or enough influence or enough of whatever you think God's providing. And so you know you can give out. 
and you can love and serve other people. That's what happens when you believe that God provides. That's what it looks like to live the good life. But David doesn't just stop that God provides for our needs and he renews us. He says something else. The end of, at the end of verse 3, he says, He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. So the, the right paths, other translations say righteous paths, kind of just leading me in the right way, not letting me go to the left or the right. But the end part is the part that's interesting because he said, for his name's sake. What does that mean, his name's sake? Well, here's what I think. God provides for us because he loves us, and yet there's a bigger purpose to his provision in our life. It's not just, I'm going to give you all you need so you can survive and sort of have like this nice life. There's a bigger purpose to it. John Piper, uh, he's a theologian. He, he makes this statement. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we find our provision in God and know he's the one providing, our response is worship and praise of him. See, when God provides for us, our goal then is to go tell everyone how good God is, how much he's done so that other people can experience God's provision in their life. It's the difference between a, a cat and a dog. Okay, so some of you are like, I thought we were talking about sheep. We'll get back to sheep in a second. So in a world religions class, there's something called cat versus dog theology. Okay? If you're a cat lover, you'll be okay after this. Here's what cats do. Cats say, my owner feeds me, cares for me, cleans up after me. That must mean that I'm God. But a dog says, my owner feeds me, cares for me, cleans up after me. That must mean that he's God. This is why when you come home from your work, your cat doesn't come run over to you and meet you at the door. If you do, that's not a normal cat. Okay, but, but a dog, when you come home, the dog is kind of waiting there for you and longing for you. And, and that's why dogs are man's best friend. Maybe why there was no movie called All Cats Go to Heaven. Right? Because dogs get it. But thinking about ourselves, right? Are we going to have that cat-type mindset or a dog-type mindset? Like, is God providing for me because everything is about me? Or is God providing for me so that I can tell everyone life is about him? See, the good life means that God will provide for you, but it also means that we get to help other people experience the same thing. And so as living the good life, God provides for us, but that's not all he does. It's amazing to me that David may have been in this situation where he was fleeing away from his son and he said, I lack nothing. And yet, if, if that really is the situation David was in, this next part is even more meaningful. In Psalm 23, verses 4, here's what David said. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's the second thing we learn about the good life. The good life is filled with God's protection. This may be one of the reasons this psalm is so famous, because people are going through hard things and tough times. This is read at a lot of funerals because people know they're in this moment where they're in the dark valley and they need something. So growing up, I've always heard this as, 
Although, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The shadow of death is kind of a picture of, of it's, it's actually in Hebrew, it's like the shadowisty, shadowy valley. Just like a dark time, a dark place. In Israel, when shepherds were taking their sheep to different places to graze, in the winter they would have them in the lowlands. So that's kind of where the food was in the wintertime, kind of these bushes. And then in the summer they would have to move their sheep from the lowlands through the valleys up to kind of the high mountaintop lands where it was lush and green. And so they had to go through this valley. So when I imagine the valley, here's what I imagine. I imagine there's kind of cliffs on either side. And that you go down in. And down there it's a little bit dark because the, the cliffs are kind of blocking the sun. And it's just a very dark place. And shepherds were nervous because this was a place where wild animals kind of had them pinned in and could take them out. This is a place where people got robbed. Think of the story of the Good Samaritan. He was kind of in a valley place when he got robbed. People came out of nowhere and robbed him. And David says, there are times in my life, maybe even at that moment, where you are in the valley of the shadow. It's a metaphor for scenes in life when we feel alone. When things aren't really good. When there's, when there's a, a, a place in your life where you can't see the other side. You're not sure what's going to happen. I talked to some people this week. And they're in this place and they're saying, what? When will God do this? When will God take me out of this place? See, the good life doesn't mean that you'll never be in the valley of the shadow. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have hard times. See, a misconception that some people have is that when you follow God or you're tight with God, that you won't have any of these hard things, or that even when you do, these things will go by quickly or it'll be easy. And David's actually not saying things will go quickly or easily. When I've seen some Christian leaders that I see from afar and I think that they're following Jesus, and yet I see them go through some of the hardest things, and I'm like, God, why? Why? When in the valley of the shadow, it's okay to ask why. It really is okay to ask why, but that can't be the only question that we ask. We have to ask the question, what? God, what are you doing? What do you want me to learn? How's this shaping me and growing me? See, David didn't love being in the valley of the shadow, but he said it didn't take him all the way down. It didn't make him depressed. Here's why. He said, because you are with me. I will fear no evil because you're with me. If you read the psalm, maybe you've quoted this psalm. If you grew up in a very liturgical church, you quoted the psalm. Every, maybe you didn't notice this one part because David stops from talking about the Lord in third person and he starts talking about it in second person. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He does this, he does this. But in this part, he said, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So why is David comforted? Because God's not just there taking care of him. God's literally right there with him in the valley, walking alongside of him. And then he goes back to the, the sheep metaphor and the shepherd metaphor. And he said, your rod and your staff comfort me. From, from the best I can tell, the rod was probably a smaller kind of staff that the shepherds kept. 
that they used to beat off wild animals. Some, some people even think they would take them and throw them to hit the animals that were coming. Because the shepherds had to face, like, like David had to face when he was young, lions and bears, not tigers, right? But just lions and bears and some other wild animals. And he had to defend his sheep, and that's why he could take on Goliath. He said, I fought these people, I can fight this guy. So they used that, and, and the rod is really representing God's protection from things outside of us. So God protects us from the evil one, from the enemy. That doesn't mean things are perfect in our lives or we never feel attacked. But he ultimately protects us and is with us. I was texting with someone this week and they told me God put on their heart to pray for their daughter, to fast for their daughter. And they didn't know why, but they found out later that God had protected their daughter from being harmed by someone physically. God protects us, right? I think God protects us more than we even know. Maybe you've been in one of those times where you're like, looking back, you're like, wow, God really protected me. But how many times in our life do we look back and we don't know how God protected us, but he did? Maybe we were running a little bit late to something, and because we were late, we didn't hit that accident. Or we look back and we say, man, if I was one second sooner or two minutes sooner, this would have happened to me. And how many times are those in our life when God protects us and we don't know about it? So God really does protect us. That's part of the good life that we live in, that, that God protects us, but he doesn't always protect us in the way we think. Because sometimes these things do happen to us. Maybe you think even being in the valley of the shadow, well, God's not protecting me. Where is he? I think the, the second tool that shepherds use kind of bring, bring us to the answer. The second tool was a staff. So if you've ever seen a shepherd's staff, it has the hook on it and it's long. And it was used to help the shepherds kind of walk and, and go on their journey. But it was also helped to kind of keep the sheep in line. Okay, so when the sheep were going off a little bit, the shepherd would go over because they're stubborn and he would kind of bump them over and just like kind of push them back into the flock. See, sometimes God's protection isn't from something on the outside, but he's protecting us from ourselves. He's protecting us from believing lies. He's protecting us from thinking we know better than God. We might be in a situation because God wants us to learn something. Remember I said we don't always just ask why, but we ask what. Maybe God's trying to teach us something while we're in these hard places. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, here's what the author says. And these are not easy words to take. But I want us to kind of soak them in. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. If you think about it, you receive discipline as children. It helps you learn to respect authority, to kind of care for more than just yourself. It doesn't say receive punishment or take hard things as punishment because God doesn't punish you if you're a follower of Jesus. God punished Jesus when he died on the cross. That was the punishment. So we don't get punished. We get disciplined. And discipline is meant to teach us and to help us learn. And sometimes the situations that we are in are disciplined to help us understand something new about God or ourselves. The good life is filled with God's protection. Again, not just protection from things outside, but sometimes 
protection from believing lies or believing we're a better shepherd than God. Pastor Craig Rochelle, he's a pastor in Oklahoma, has a, has a fairly large church. It seems to me when I listen to him that he's humble and he's trying to stay close to Jesus. He has six kids. And one of his daughters is a very accomplished dancer, maybe going to be a world-class dancer one day. And she got married a few years ago. And, and a couple months after she got married, she caught this illness. They don't really know what it is. But it was just kind of debilitating her. And so they prayed for healing. They took her to the best doctors around the world. And six months in, they prayed for healing and nothing happened. A year in, they prayed for healing. They're just praying that God would heal her. They're still taking her to doctors, doing everything they can to figure it out like you would. Nothing. A year and a half goes by. Nothing. Two years. Nothing. Two and a half years they're praying for healing. And what does God do? Doesn't heal her yet. That's the valley of the shadow. When you're saying, God, why? We want you to heal. We believe you heal. Just heal her. We want you to. And yet he doesn't do it yet. Craig Rochelle, he said one of the things that he's learning through all of this and the quote will be up on the screen, that true intimacy with God is not found living on a mountaintop, but getting to know his faithfulness in the valley. It's not found living on a mountaintop, but getting to know his faithfulness in the valley. So even as David walked through the valley of the shadow, what did he say? He didn't say, I'm discouraged. Where are you, God? He said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, David learned in the valley of the shadow how to trust God how to look to God, how to stop believing that he was in charge and believing that he knew better than God. Sometimes in our shadow of the va our valley of the shadow experiences, that's the times when we get to know who God is the most. And that actually leads to the good life. Maybe that even is protection. See, the good life is filled with God's provision and God's protection, but that's not all. At the end, David says something else that the good life is filled with. Verses 20, or chapter 23, verses 5 through 6. Here's what, God, here's what David says about God. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David shifted from a shepherd metaphor to now a host metaphor. David's kind of an honored guest at the king's table and is being lavished on by God's love. See, in the ancient Near East, when you ate a meal with someone, it wasn't just like, hey, we're going to eat together. Nope. Now it was a sign that you're my friend, that we're tight. What do we see the good, about the good life? Point number three, the good life is filled with God's presence. The good life is filled with God's presence. The end of the passage really sets the direction for the good life. Up until this point, we have talked about the benefits of being with the good shepherd, embracing him as our shepherd, how he changes wrong thinking in our life, and we've heard that, that the good life isn't an easy life. But here's what David said. He said, this is the end goal of the good life, is being in God's presence. So he, he paints another picture. 
He's at a party, and somehow his enemies, the people who have been persecuting David, are there. So they're either kind of chained up, watching David enjoy this amazing meal. Okay, like imagine if a team won the Super Bowl, and the other team wasn't allowed to leave the stadium, right? They just had to watch them celebrate over and over again. Sounds horrible. Or... Somehow David's enemies have been forced into a treaty and so they have to sit there at the table like begrudgingly saying, yep, this is actually better for us to be in a treaty with you. Like they, they don't love that, but David is celebrating and feasting. It says he got oil poured on him. This is one way in ancient cultures that people would greet a guest. Right? And then he said, my cup is overflowing with wine. Which means basically that the, the host is saying, listen, there's plenty to go around and he's pouring so much in David's cup that it's going on the floor, but he doesn't care because there's just so much there. This is a picture of celebration, of a feast. In Isaiah 25, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. He said, at the end of all time, here's what our picture is going to be if we're followers of Jesus. That we're going to be at this giant feast and it's going to be a, a, a bigger table than this room. Right, there's going to be people from every race and every nation, right? All there celebrating with, with aged meats, right? Like ribeye that's been aged and prime and it tastes delicious. With the best of wine, with, with the best of cheeses, all sitting around celebrating. Like it's going to be a giant party and they're not partying because they're thinking they're awesome. They're partying to celebrate God. Some people think heaven is going to be all about kind of singing songs, Right? I don't know if I would love that heaven, but, but here's what I do see. I see a giant picture of a feast and a celebration, and people are so excited that they're singing to God. Like they just can't hold it in anymore. This is the picture of the good life. It's being in God's presence. And David said, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the goal of the good life. It says, surely God's goodness and his mercy are following me now in part but fully then so I don't know what you think the good life is maybe before this message you're kind of picturing this is what I want to happen this is how I want to retire right if only these certain things could fall into place then I'll have the good life and let me tell you your dreams for the good life are too small because you dream about these things that, that you want to have and you want to happen. Let me tell you, those things are going to fade and disappoint. Because you and I weren't made just to have all of these good things and be satisfied. You and I were made to be in the presence of God. The only thing that ever fully satisfies us is being with God and being in His presence. That's the only thing that will truly satisfy our lives. And so when we think about the good life, the good life isn't, man, you watch MTV Cribs and you say, man, those guys have the good life. No, they don't. The people who are in God's presence, who are with God, who get to experience his love and his mercy and his provision and his comfort in the dark times, those are the people who have the good life. And the reason David is singing this song because he's reminding himself this is what the good life really looks like. David doesn't just tell us what the good life looks like. Jesus does too. In John 10.10, 10, 
Jesus is making a comparison. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. Jesus is saying, listen, you can have all these worldly pleasures. You can have everything that the world says is what you need. But here's what you really need. Me. I am the good shepherd and I'm going to give you life and life to the fullest. What you need is me. And here's why we can have it. Because in the very next verse, he says this, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The reason you can have the good life isn't because you're good. The reason you can have the good life isn't because you're someone special or you've been following God and been really religious from a child and God's really happy with you. No, the reason the good shepherd had to lay down his life for you is because you weren't worthy. You weren't worthy of God. You weren't someone God kind of said, like, I'll take that one and that one and that one and not that one and that one. You weren't one of the chosen like that. You're one of the chosen because Jesus laid down his life for you. He's the shepherd. He's the one in charge. He's the one in control. And yet he came down from heaven to die for you and I so that we could have the good life said the good shepherd leads you into the good life. The good shepherd is Jesus. It's God, but it's Jesus. That he showed us how to live the good life. And he not only set an example, but he gave up everything so that we could live it. There was once a group of businessmen and they were having a party and they invited an actor to come and kind of entertain them. And the actor was quoting lines from plays and from work that he'd done in the past. And they were cheering and clapping and they loved it. And one person said, why don't you quote the 23rd Psalm? And so he went ahead with verbose. And he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he went through the Psalm and at the end people were clapping. They were cheering. And someone looked out. And they saw an old priest there, and they said, let's have the priest quote Psalm 23. And the priest, he he got up from his seat. And his voice was weary and gravelly from preaching and counseling for all these years. And as he said Psalm 23, and he spoke it out, there wasn't cheering and clapping. There was silence. And you started to hear people weep. And no one spoke. And finally the actor stood up. And he said, I may know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. I may know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. See, if God is your shepherd, we don't just get to know about him. Knowing Psalm 23 is good, but we can't settle for knowing the psalm and knowing about the shepherd and not knowing him. See, knowing the shepherd is the only way 
you live the good life. Because when you know about the shepherd, but you still think life is about you, then you try to use the shepherd to somehow enhance your life and make it better. But guess what? When you try to use God, that'll fade away. See, when you know God, when you know Him personally, He leads you into the good life. This morning, I don't want you to say, man, now I know more about Psalm 23, like I hope you do. But I hope you leave this place and say, man, I can know the shepherd and here's what he does for me. He provides for me. See, everything that you have right now in your life is because he's given you the gifts and talents and abilities and provided for you. It wasn't luck that you're at the good place that you're at. It was God leading you. Guess what? It wasn't bad misfortune that somehow you're in this dark place if you're there. It was God knowing you're going to be there and then being with you and teaching you and protecting you through the circumstances. And some of you aren't out of the valley yet, but I want to let you know God is with you in the valley. That he's protecting you, that he's with you, that he's teaching you. And the ultimate goal is to be in his presence. So this morning, if we believe that God provides for us, we'll live a life with an abundance mentality to say, God, you've provided for me and now I can be generous to everyone around me. That I can tell people about you, that knowing you isn't just my little secret or, or just for me, but it's for everybody. See, it doesn't change how you think or just how you feel, but it changes what you do. If you believe that God is with you in the valley, then you can know that you're not alone. That even though you don't see a way out, you don't see hope, He is your hope. And that the ultimate goal of our lives isn't to live for ourselves, but to be in His presence. And today, He invites us to be in His presence. When you came this morning, you might not have known it, but God is inviting you to be in His presence. We got to be in His presence in worship. We get to be in His presence by listening to His Word. And we're in His presence now because His Spirit is with us. So my hope is not just that we know about the shepherd, but we know the shepherd this morning. Maybe you're here and you say, Andrew, I don't know the shepherd that way, but I want to. Maybe you've come in and things have been hard and, and you came for a reason this morning. Someone invited you and you finally said yes. It's because of this. It's because Jesus wants to be the leader of your life. He wants to give you this good life. And today, you can have it by surrendering your life to Jesus, by saying, God, I'm sorry for all the things that I've done. I ask you for forgiveness and I ask that Jesus would come into my life to be the leader and would help me. You can do that this morning. If you want to do that this morning, you can just pray that prayer in your head right now. You can let us know in the back of the orange card that you did that, and we'd love to follow up with you. For the rest of us, if you say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, then today is the day to embrace Jesus as your good shepherd, as the one who leads you to say, I'm going to stop trying to do this on my own. There's areas in your life that you need to surrender today to the shepherd and you haven't done it yet. 
Let him lead you this morning. I want us all to to read Psalm 23 together. Maybe you've done this in church hundreds of times, thousands of times. Maybe you've never done it, but this morning as we read it together, I want you to make it personal. I don't want you to just say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to green pastures, makes me laugh. I want you to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And even if that's not true in your life that you can see right now, I want you to believe that it is true because he's with you. And so let's read it together. And we'll read it just a little bit slower, but we'll just say, the Lord is my shepherd, okay? Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you that it's not just David who can say you're his shepherd, but it's us this morning. I pray as we leave this place that we would embrace that, that you are our shepherd, that you guide us and you lead us. Holy Spirit, change our hearts. Help us stop thinking we can do this on our own and allow you to lead us. We love you and we thank you this morning, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen.